Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Today we're doing something new. A number of people have commented on the Historical Jesus class I released on this podcast some time ago, and I felt that this subject would also be of interest, which is the field of apologetics. Have you ever heard of apologetics? This is the field where Christians seek to provide the reasons for why they believe what they believe. In a post-Christian society, it's increasingly important to understand the reasons for your faith. For example, why do you believe in God's existence? Why do you think the Bible's true? How do you know God raised Jesus from the dead? What about pain and suffering, modern science, or Christianity's constantly attacked sexual ethics? In the next 15 lectures, you'll get answers to these important questions so you can build your own faith as well as get better at sharing it with others. Also, I taught this class live at the Atlanta Bible College, and I was miked, but the students were not. And the way I teach in this sort of classroom environment is highly interactive so that the students are engaged as much as possible. However, the downside of that is it makes the recording less than desirable especially when the students are speaking. So I have spent a lot of time editing these 15 lectures and trying to boost the volume when the students are speaking and cut out parts that just aren't relevant unless you were there. So I can offer you something that is helpful as well as a more efficient use of your time. And I just ask that you cut me a little slack here that this is not originally a class designed for an audio audience. It's designed for a live audience. And to help you, I've included notes, my own notes, for each of these lectures. Apologetics is something that's really important to me, and it's important to me for personal reasons, as well as for the benefit of others. Personally, I struggle with my faith a lot when I was going to engineering school, studying a lot of math and science, spending time around a lot of skeptics and atheists. As a result, I had to dig in. It was sink or swim as far as my faith was concerned. And this course is really the outgrowth of that experience. And I've also developed it over the years. I've been teaching this course for 11 years now, and it has developed over each iteration, and it will continue to develop as the issues of our day continue to shift and change. In particular, I've included a lecture this time around on sexual ethics and another one on the existence of Jesus, which were two subjects that were just not on the radar in 2005 when the first version of this course came out. So, For better or for worse, here is the updated version of my apologetics class. Please give me feedback and let me know what you're thinking, if this is something that helps you, 
if you're not interested in apologetics and defending your faith, I encourage you at least listen to this lecture. At least hear this out and see what you think about it. And if you're interested in apologetics, you're going to love this because although I don't go into depth in every single subject, I do touch on a lot of important subjects such as God's existence, the resurrection, the various arguments for the Old Testament, for the New Testament, for reliability of transmission, for uh, trustworthiness, and I also address some of the objections. So let me know what you think, and also, if you'd like to take this class for credit, please contact the Atlanta Bible College so you can register with them and do the necessary work for a grade. For each lecture, there's a quiz and there are also some writing assignments and a debate critique assignment where I have the students watch a YouTube debate and uh, write a response to it. So if, if you're interested in, in taking this for credit, please, by all means, contact the Atlanta Bible College. If not, enjoy. This is something that can, I think, really boost your faith and help you to talk to others about your faith. So here's Apologetics Part 1, Introduction. This is the kind of class and the kind of books that, yeah, you're going to get well-grounded this week, but then this is the sort of thing that's going to pay dividends the rest of your life as you encounter people that question your faith, as you encounter other Christians that are doubting their faith, as you encounter non-Christians that you're trying to preach to, and they're like, well, what about all the pain and suffering in the world? What about that? You know, and you're like, I don't know, but I think there was a lecture on that in the apologetics class. And like, maybe you'll find your notes or, or maybe you won't. And you'll just look up the answer in this book because it's in there, you know. And um, so I think this class is really worthwhile. It was, you know, a class that I really felt Atlanta Bible College should have. And I pioneered it in 2005, actually, which is a long time ago now. And uh, the reason why I was always so into apologetics is because I was, at first I was an engineer. I did my undergraduate in computer engineering. And I did tons of science and math. And science and math people are like typically not Bible people too, you know, because they, they get this skeptical worldview and they tend to be atheists. Um, and so uh, this is something that I, I really wrestle with in school just like on my own. So I ended up reading all these Christian books on the subject and uh, just kind of made sense that, that uh, it would, once I got to ABC, that we could develop it into a class. So anyhow, attendance, show up, you'll be fine. On to the lecture. Okay, so let's go to 1 Peter 3.14. Somebody have a Bible? 1 Peter 3.14. It was kind of loud. Who's got it? We should go in order. Let's go with Levi first. He's got a good narrating voice anyhow. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. To 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. All right, so this is, this is the key text for apologetics. It says to us that we should always be prepared to give a defense. So this word here 
is the word for defense. It's the word apologia. So what is apologetics? Apologetics is being ready to give an answer or a defense for someone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, right? What is the hope within you? Probably something related to the kingdom of God. That's the hope that the scriptures teach us about, right? And so if somebody says to you, well, why do you believe in the kingdom of God? That's a crazy idea. You're supposed to be able to have an answer for that. You're supposed to be ready to make a defense for that. That's what the scripture says, right? And it's very, very important, almost more important than being prepared to give an answer, is how to give the answer. Gentleness and respect. And you should probably be living righteously as well, because that's what this says right here. Right? But when you give somebody an answer, I mean, I'm going to give you uh, bullets for your gun. And I'm asking that when you shoot them at people, you do it gently and respectfully. Okay? Uh, because it, it, is, it is true that you, you, can, you can learn reasons that prove something and then end up being a jerk and lose the opportunity to convince somebody because they, they can't hear what you're saying because you're being so rude. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So we want to always, when we do apologetics, when we, when we give people defense or reasons, we want to do it in a gentle manner and a respectful manner. Sometimes people believe ridiculous things. They do. And sometimes I, I believe ridiculous things myself. Um, but it, there's no reason to disrespect them. That is their belief. You know, it, you, you don't, obviously you don't think it's right, but you should still treat that person with respect. You know, just start laughing at them or, or ridiculing them is not... That's not the, the godly way to do things. All right, so apologetics is giving a defense or an explanation of the faith. We do it with gentleness and respect. And there are some examples of this. I'm going to just uh, cruise through a few with you. This, this is uh, Acts 22, verse 1. Could somebody, uh, Alex, could you read that? These are just examples in the Bible where people use this same apologia word. Um, brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I have offered you. Okay, this is Paul, right? He's just been attacked by a mob in Jerusalem, outside the temple, and the Roman soldiers had to rescue him, and he gets pulled up, and he's just about to go into the Praetorian building when... He says to the soldiers, let me talk to the people. Let me just talk to the people. And the soldiers are like, all right, fine. And so he starts to talk to them. And as soon as they hear him addressing them in their own language, right, they all get quiet. And Paul goes on to make his case to explain what he's doing, right? And so this is his defense. And so an apologia, this is the same Greek word here, that that's what he's doing. When you, when you read Acts 22, which I'm not going to do with you now, you'll see that what he does is he tells his story about how he met Jesus and how it changed his life. And that's his defense as to why he's a Christian, right? So doing apologetics and doing evangelism are often hand in hand. Take a look at another example. 1 Corinthians 9.3 says, uh, My defense to those who examine me is this. And so now here's another example where Paul is defending himself on his rights. 1 Corinthians 9 is actually about money. And he proves 
three or four different ways that they that that ministers should be paid money. That's what 1 Corinthians 9 is about. And then he says, but I never took a dime from any of you. <laughs> it's a great chapter. And he says, and I never will, because it'll mess up our relationship. Because the Corinthians were weird about money, so he didn't take any money from them. But anyhow, his, this is his defense, right? It's the same concept again. Sometimes as Christians, people tell us that we should just let people walk all over us or something like that. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. The biblical way is to stand up for what you believe in, but to do it in a gentle and respectful manner. Here's another example, Acts 25, 16. Talon, could you read that one? I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against the charges. Right. So this is a, a Roman official, and he's saying, look, this is our custom. You get to make your defense against the charges. So this is Acts 25, 16. It's a good example of somebody who is making a legal defense for something. And uh, even defending the gospel is in Philippians 1.7. We won't go there, but that's defending the gospel itself. I want to share with you this quote here. Josiah, could you read that? The task of apologetics is to show that the evidence that the New Testament calls people to commit their lives to its compelling evidence and worthy of our full commitment. That often involves a lot of work for the apologist. Sometimes we would rather duck the responsibility of doing our homework, of wrestling with the problems and answering the objections, we simply say to people, oh, you just have to take it all in faith. That's the ultimate cop-out. That doesn't honor Christ. We honor Christ by setting forth for people the cognizance of the truth, of the truth claims of Scripture, even as God himself does. Right. Cogency. That's uh, the uh, persuasiveness or convincingness of, that's not a word, but... Uh, cogency of the truth claims of scriptures. Do you see what, this is an R.C. Sproul quote. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, look, apologetics is showing that the evidence is compelling. It makes sense. It's not pie in the sky. It actually makes sense to commit your life to this, to Christ, right? And he's like, you know, sometimes we'd rather not deal with trying to do all that. We'd rather just say you got to take it on faith. But you know what? That's not really an honorable thing. That's, that's, that doesn't honor anyone just to say, oh, you have to take it on faith. That's just us being lazy. And look, we all, I, know, I understand. We all get lazy, right, from time to time. Uh, but that's, this, the stakes are too high when it comes to salvation to just be like, oh, you just take it on faith. No, I mean, you really do need to, to develop this a little bit. And look, everybody has some level of apologetics figured out in their heads to some degree. They've got some story that they would tell, or a testimony, or some rationality, some reasons. It's just not organized. This class is about organizing them, categorizing, you know, deepening your reasons in each of the different categories. And so it is, it's going to be awesome. All right, now there are some objections to doing apologetics. I have three here that I could think of. There are probably a lot more. But here are three objections to doing apologetics. One is, by definition, faith excludes certainty. So in other words, look, if you have faith, then you don't have certainty. So why are you trying to prove something? Faith and reason are two separate matters. You just, you just got to believe it. If, if you had good reasons, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't need faith. Objection number two is only the Holy Spirit opens people's hearts to believe. So what are you doing with all this logic, buddy? 
Uh, number three is knowledge puffs up. You study this stuff, it's just going to puff you up. It's going to make you insufferable. Nobody will want to have you over for dinner because all you do is spout your knowledge. Puff up like a big puffer fish or something. Is that a fish, a puffer fish? It is true that you're not going to have absolute certainty on everything, right? And I'm totally fine with that. But I want, to, I want you to think about the, I'm just working on objection one here. I want you to think about the concept of blind faith, a blind leap of faith, right? I don't think that's very smart. I don't think it's very smart to take a blind leap of faith because let's say, let's say you're standing on the side of a cliff and somebody blindfolds you and spins you around a bunch of times and then they say jump. What are the chances you jump in the right direction and not off the cliff? Oh, 50% or something like that, right? Like, or, you know, Russian roulette. You know, like, that's just not smart to, to do those sorts of things, right? What's, what's better is if you peek under that blindfold just a little bit, just, just at the ground, you know, to see, like, all right, the cliff's that way. You know, <laughs> and then you're still, you're t taking a leap. You don't have all the details, but at least you're, you have some clue which way is your death and destruction, Right? And so that's what apologetics is, is peeking under the blindfold, seeing the ground. It's not going to necessarily give you complete, perfect view of everything, but at least it's going to point you in a direction that's going to be a lot safer. So, but anyhow, what did Jesus do? In the Gospel of John in particular, I just want to show you a couple of verses here. Jesus, this is John 5, 36. Jesus repeatedly says, look at my works. Don't believe it because I say it. Look at my works. That's what Jesus says. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is like, look, don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because of what I do. Look at my deeds, man. And he says that repeatedly throughout the Gospel of John. Another example is in uh, chapter 10, verse 24 where it says, the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. These testify of me. So he's like, look, look at the works. Look at the works. They testify of me. If I do not... Do the works, this is verse 37, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. Whoa. That's interesting. Jesus is like, don't believe me. If you don't see the proof of, what, of who I am, do not believe me. That's what he says. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And so on. There are a lot more verses like that in John. Later on, after it happens, the resurrection of Jesus becomes the biggest proof that he is the true Messiah. You see this repeatedly in the book of Acts, that resurrection proves that Jesus is Messiah. And there are lots of uh, examples of this. Could I have, uh, who's up? Jacob, could I have you read Acts 17, 30 to 31? In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. 
for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of... He has given what? Proof. Okay. Proof of what? Of Jesus's, of Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus being the judge of the world, right? By, keep going, sorry, I, I interrupted you. I got excited. Given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Right? Did you all catch that? So it says, uh, he said a day he's going to judge the world by the man he has appointed, right? He's talking about Jesus' role as the ultimate judge, right? And he has given proof by raising him from the dead. See how that works? So they're like, no, Jesus is the man. He's, he's, he's you know, like that Johnny Cash song. Uh, Jesus is the man who's going to come around and do the judgment, right? That's part of the function of the Messiah. It's not just to bless the faithful, but to judge the wicked as well. And so how do we know that's really the true? God has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And you see it over and over in the book of Acts. Uh, I'll just give you that one example. And then I want to show you this other example from... Romans chapter 1. Can I get Brooke over there? You got a Bible there? Yeah. Uh, Romans 1. Actually, you just look at it up here. Romans 1, 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 4 there. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. What proves or what declares that Jesus is the Son of God? It's the resurrection of the dead. Okay? And so, when Jesus was here in his ministry, he says, look at my deeds. Look, I just gave sight to a guy who was born blind. Right? And then after he's, his ministry has, has completed... His followers, his first generation followers, are saying, God raised him from the dead, and we saw him. We are eyewitnesses of his resurrection. So that's, that's what I have to say to this objection here on the subject of faith excludes certainty. I don't, I don't think faith does exclude reason. You know, maybe you're not 100%. You know, there could still be an evil genius. You could still be a butterfly dreaming. You could be plugged into the matrix. Yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of things you can't prove that could be true. But generally speaking, anyone should be able to see that there is a God and that these things are reasonable. This is another quote by R.C. Sproul. Melvin, could you read this one for us? The Bible never tells us to take a leap of faith into darkness and hope that there is somebody out there. The Bible calls us to jump out of the darkness and into the light. That is not a blind leap. Yeah, so we're not asking people to make a blind leap. It is a leap, though. You know, you do have to trust, right? But so, so is marriage. You know, you ask, you ask this person to marry, you be like, baby, I can't live without you. I want to spend forever with you. You don't know if she's going to turn into the Wicked Witch of the West in five years. You don't know that. There's no way you can know that. At some point, you just got to be like, all right, I don't think she is. And, you know, I, liked, I, I met her family. They all seem okay. You know, I don't know. At some point, you got to be like, all right, I'm going to put the ring on, and there we go. Right? You can't know absolutely. But, you know, if everybody sat there paralyzed in indecision, what would that mean for, yeah, 
So, and we don't want everyone to die. So, it, 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 for that reason, I don't, I don't believe it's a, um, a good objection. All right, number two, only the Holy Spirit opens people's hearts to believe. Uh, that, that may be true. I'm not sure about that. Uh, it's, it's a big statement because of the word only there, right? Um, but uh, I will say this. Apologetics isn't about getting people to believe the gospel. That's evangelism. Apologetics is really uh, something else. Apologetics is dealing with the objections people have to the faith. Okay, It's about clearing these things out of the way so that they can hear the gospel. Uh, and here's a way I put it. If someone's heart is the field and the gospel message is the seed, then apologetics is, removing, is the removing of stones and weeds to prepare the soil to receive. It's not really evangelism, it's more like pre-evangelism. Has anyone ever picked up rocks from a yard before you planted grass? Uh, I've, I've done that before. Um, one, one time I was working with a farmer who was planting a whole lawn, and it, it had been a, a wild, just a wild field before that, and he had plowed it, and then he had me walk in front of the tractor. I was a young man, uh, and, and he had me pick up rocks and put them in the bucket of the tractor, and we just went along, and I, it was my job to pick up all the rocks, right? And he wanted me to do that before he planted the, the seed so that it would grow. And that's what apologetics is. It's not the same as doing evangelism. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit is active in evangelism. Uh, but sometimes people can't hear what you're saying because they're so mad at God for killing their mother because that's their belief. Right? I met a guy once that had been abused by nuns and he could not, he literally could not hear anything I had to say because of the pain, the emotional trauma associated with that. And so, or I met another time I was in Michigan at Grand, Grand Rapids and, and we were talking to this Serbian guy at the bus station downtown and uh, I was like, yeah, we're Christians, just talking to people. He's like, oh, I hate Christians. I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't even do anything. And he's like, the Christians came to my village and killed everyone and I escaped. I'm like, whoa, that's deep. So this guy's not ready to hear about the gospel message yet until we deal with this issue that's in the way of that, which is some Christians who are not being true to what Christ said, basically, which happens quite a lot throughout the history of the world, doesn't it? Think of picking up rocks. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty-one with me, would you? 1 Corinthians one twenty-one. Somebody read that out to me, Dan. I think it's your turn. For since in, in the wisdom of John, the world through its wisdom did not come to know John. John was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God could have decided to communicate to people directly through his spirit. He could have done that. That's not how he ordained that conversion and salvation would occur. Instead, he chose that through the foolishness, and, he, and like Paul recognizes, this is ridiculous. This is just silly, like that it's this easy and it's this simple. And he's like, look, I'm just going to say these words, and then like if you believe it, you get eternal life. Pfft, it's just crazy. You should have to climb a mountain, or you should have to stand on one foot, or you should have to be like that guy in the Guinness Book of World Records who let his fingernails grow so long that they curled all the way around and just had to deal with the awkwardness of that for like 10 years and then you would get salvation but no it's just through the foolishness of preaching 
right? And that's just how God set it up. Simple as that. And so he, instead of setting it up so he directly communicated with people, he decided that he wanted to have us in the game. He wanted to have his people, his family in on the action because, as Romans 10 says, how can they hear without a preacher? Let me just pull that up real fast here. This is Romans 10, like 14-ish. Yeah. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Right? And so this is the way God set it up. He could have done it a lot of different ways. He could have embedded scripture in our DNA so that like at the age of 13, we all instantly remember the whole Bible. He could have done that. I mean, he's God, right? But he didn't. He just decided that he's going to work through people called his, his church or his family or the body of Christ, and that through that, he's going to reach out into the world. And so that's the way it is. And you know what? It takes work because in our society, there are malevolent, malevolent forces working against this, and the culture is set against God and is set against the gospel, and people's ears are clogged up with all kinds of crazy ideas, so they can't even understand it when you speak the gospel to them. And that's one of the main reasons why we do apologetics. All right, the last reason was um, uh, objection I want to handle with you right at the outset is, but doesn't knowledge puff up? Okay, And uh, 1 Corinthians, that's actually a quote from 1 Corinthians 8 here, which in the NASB version of the incident says, now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. All right? I want you to show you the ESV on that same text. It's just a different translation. And I want you to note the difference. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Totally different, right? The difference was, now, rather than Paul making the statement, all of us have knowledge. He's quoting their slogan that they're saying, all of us have knowledge. And then he's refuting that by saying, but love, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Okay? And so there's a difference in understanding how these words are used. In, in the one case, um, it's almost like a, a dictum. Yeah. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. As if the Bible's teaching that. But what the ESV is saying is, no, that's their slogan is that all of us possess knowledge. And Paul's saying not all knowledge in general, but this knowledge that they have that they know better than other Christians and they can eat idol food and food that's sacrificed to idols and it doesn't matter, right? That's the knowledge that he's saying is puffing them up, but love builds up, right? What, I mean, what, what, what is the alternative here? Completely ignorant love. I mean, what, why, why is that helpful? Why is, you know what I mean? I mean, it's better to know what you're doing and to love, right? Than to, you know what I mean? So you don't want to be like an a, a, a ignorant lover or really smart but really unloving, right? It's better to have both, clearly. And so I don't think we want to use this one text to say Christian education is dumb, just go out there and love people. I think you want to do both, right? The Bible says study to show yourself approved. It says be ready to make a defense, yeah. All right, so I just want to conclude this lecture by giving you uh, four reasons, and please write these down, four reasons to study apologetics, right?
The first reason why you should study apologetics, I know you're already here studying it, but this is just going to encourage you that you're in the right place. Uh, the, the first one is that we are commanded to do it. Peter does not say, you know, if it's convenient and if you have enough time, spend a little time making a, preparing to make a defense for everyone who asks you for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and, and reverence. He doesn't say that. He says, be prepared. It's going to happen in their culture and in our culture, right? Reason number two to study apologetics is it builds your own faith. You're going to see arguments for God's existence, arguments why we believe the Old Testament is re reliable and trustworthy, re arguments why the New Testament is reliable and trustworthy, explanations to objections that maybe have caused doubt in your own soul. And through going through this class, your own faith is going to be strengthened. And there are times that we all go through doubt. There are times, tough times in our own lives where our emotions uh, get stirred up and are leading us in, in a, a way apart from God. And these rational explanations will still be there. <laughs> That's the great thing about them. You know, they're kind of lifeless. That's the sad thing about rational explanations. But they are still there when our emotions are going crazy, uh, which is kind of cool. And reason number three to study apologetics is it helps you to build faith in other people, right? There, there, there are friends that you're going to have. Some of you may get into ministry and you may be called upon to give an answer you know, I mean, people ask me questions all the time, like, hey, this terrible thing happened. What do I say? That's an important uh, role to play, depending on, you know, what you're into. But even if you're just like working a regular job and your friend knows that you're a Christian or that you went to Bible college, they're, they're going to be going to you. And reason number four to study apologetics is it is usually necessary for evangelism especially in our day and time. Usually you can't just say to somebody, look, God's planning to fix the world, to establish his kingdom. His son died for your sins and he raised him from the dead. And why don't you come on in and believe that, brother or sister? You know, like, I mean, maybe in Georgia that works. But like where I come from, in the frozen post-Catholic north, you know, it's just like, dude, are you, are you crazy? <laughs> so... You know, usually it does take a little bit of effort, pre-evangelism, and that's apologetics, removing the stones from the field. If you enjoyed what you heard here, why not give Restitutio a five-star rating in iTunes or Stitcher? Doing so will help others find this podcast and inspire them to love God, follow Christ, and seek truth wherever it leads. Thanks for listening, and check us out online at restitutio.org, where you can find an archive of all the podcasts, as well as a bunch of articles and links to other resources. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.